So please uh, make yourself as comfortable as you can and do let me know if it's getting trickier to hear me at any point. I'll dial up the volume on the voice or I might ask you to come closer to me, one of those, but let me know. So yeah, I'm just wondering if there's, if it's a, a nice place to start, an appropriate place to start with just appreciation in this moment, you know, for anything that comes to heart and mind to appreciate, you know, the sunshine shining so beautifully on your faces, maybe bringing some warmth to the body, to the heart, to the mind. The fact that as we're sitting here, we're part of this movement of human beings, of men and women yeah. over thousands of years. People have come out from the daily routines of their lives to come closer, yeah. to come closer to themselves, to come closer to life. The opportunity to you know, have a live moment-to-moment -moment teaching of a nature as we sit exposed to the elements. Yeah, one moment it's cooler, one moment it's warmer. Sometimes it's just right, occasionally. So much to appreciate. And I'm reminded that Nathan brought some spare clothes. If anyone's feeling cold now or later, please don't be shy. I'm ready to the, for the um, trekking retreat in Lapland, so it's got a lot of warm clothes. I'm wearing all of mine. <laughs> That's what happens when you grow up in the Mediterranean. Yeah. Anyone else? You got more? Got, he's got more if anyone wants. Feel free to say later if it changes. So we can take a moment also to, to feel what is our experience like right now? Yeah. How are we in this moment? How are you experiencing this moment? How are you experiencing yourself? How are you experiencing others? Yeah. And with others will include yeah, the world, will include the trees, will include the grass. Yeah. Just noticing how am I experiencing myself? How am I experiencing others here? How am I experiencing the world? 
and being interested to see if there's any degree of a fixed, a solid, a frozen sense there in the language of Anita that we used. Just out of interest, not out of judgment, you know, not out of saying, oh, I'm a good practitioner, I'm not a good practitioner. Yeah? Just a sense of, ah, what's the experience like right now? And it's pretty likely that to some degree there is a sense of solidity to something. And we keep being interested to see what happens when we bring, and we can do it right now in this moment, when we bring some of the practices we've been exploring to that meeting of experience. Whether it's just that tuning in to the pleasant, to the comfortable, whether it's the metta, the Vedana, the Anicca, the unsatisfactory. What happens when we bring that way of looking to our experience, in particular to whatever may feel a little bit solid, a little bit static, a little bit fixed, a little bit independent and removed and separate from other things. So we can really try it in this moment. You can try it with the body experience, you can try it with the sound of my voice. Yeah. What happens? And we just drop in yeah. a way of looking, a welcoming, or a gentle whisper of unsatisfactory to the experience. We can you know, particularly see what happens to the sense of spaciousness. How much space is there when we do this? And what happens to that appearance of solidity, of independence, of being fixed and separate in whatever we're sensing? And we might notice that there's a, a spectrum, there's a range there yeah. of how, to what degree things are experienced as separate from each other. Yeah. The wind on the skin and me experiencing it. Yeah. How separate are those two? Yeah. And does that change when we change the way of looking? Yeah. The sound of a car. Noticing the spectrum, noticing how things are impacted. And so this evening, wanting to look more at this tendency that we have to see things as solid, fixed, separate, independent. Having, uh, sometimes we might say, having a separate essence yeah, or a complete essence. And this can include how we view ourselves, which is what we're particularly going to look at. But I just want to say at this point, it also includes how we see another. Yeah? 
So we create self here and we create self over there. It's the same movement. And what happens when we remember that this habit, this conditioning, this tendency to solidify, to see something as independent, separate, distinct, this is also a way of looking. It's a way of looking. It's something that we've learned how to do. We've learned to see in this way, which means that we can also learn how to see in other ways. And through meditation, that's what we're doing. We're opening up the possibilities, we're opening up the range of how we can look at experiences and therefore how we can understand. And I feel we've said this so many times already on this retreat, but have to say it again. When there's an experience, there's a way of looking. Yeah? That's the kind of, this is the core insight. And it impacts the experience. Impacts the experience. But of course, ways of looking also are not fixed. Yeah, they're not permanent. They're not independent. Yeah. They don't stand alone. They are dependent on us looking. Ways of looking, ways of relating exist because we repeat them, because we engage with them. So ways of looking are therefore also dependent. They're also changeable. changing and fluid. And the more complex an experience is, the more complex an experience is, the more we need to remember this, that there's a way of looking that's impacting this experience. And that that way of looking will not, often not be obvious to us. We say appearance, yeah. It's uh, synonymous with experience, with phenomena. Yeah. When there's a phenomena, yeah, there's a way of looking. Yeah. And so this remembering, <laughs> this remembering is part of what we're developing, what we're cultivating in our practice. Remembering that there's a way of looking in operation impacting experience, remembering that that is changeable, that it's also dependent, reliant on things. And this opens up, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's just kind of, ah, pause. Possibilities are boundless. Possibilities are boundless that open up for us. 
And so we've seen this again and again, and yet I'm still continuing to say it. Yeah, we see again and again in our practice, and we need to keep seeing it. The way we relate shapes our experience. Yeah. The way we relate shapes our experience. We only had a, a short touch of it this afternoon, but you know, maybe when we turned to unpleasant body sensations with metta, did anyone notice something changing in the experience? Yeah, quite a few nods. Yeah. So we change the way of relating, or the neutral. <laughs> did the neutral stay neutral? when you met it with metta? No, it, it often doesn't. Yeah? Really interesting to see that. And sometimes we see it immediately, sometimes you know, we need to find our way in. The way of relating impacts the experience itself some of the time. So the way of relating is an activity, it's an engagement with our experience. Yeah? It's not just a passive happening. It's a creative thing, experience, appearance. It's a creative thing that we're participating in. So Nathan uh, spoke this morning, yeah. if you remember, it feels like a long time ago already, but he spoke this morning about this, you know, way of looking, seeing phenomena as unsatisfactory. And that when we see something as unsatisfactory, when we kind of release that expectation of it to give us satisfaction or dissatisfaction, yeah, that letting go, the craving, yeah, going down, the clinging going down, the demand going down, yeah, the habitual push and pull on experience going down. Yeah. The contraction easing. The dukkha going down. Yeah. Remember those levers that he was talking about, all connected? Yeah. One down, all down. Yeah. So really importantly, with all of those going down, the sense of self also goes down. And what do we mean by that? How loud it is, yeah? How um, solid it feels, yeah? How dense it feels, yeah? It goes down alongside dukkha, contraction, craving. It all goes quieter together. And often, I think, because there's so much going on in those moments, we don't notice that part, yeah? We notice, oh, the dukkha's gone down, there's more well-being, there's more release, yeah? We'll notice the contraction has relaxed, yeah? Also because that's what we've been directing our attention at, yeah? We'll notice there's more well-being. Um, and now we want to start looking at what happens to the sense of self, what happens to the sense of self in that? And it's interesting that link, yeah? Nathan said this line, actually he wrote it here. <laughs> Even, you know. 
Yeah. The self enjoys being less self-centered. <laughs> yeah, there's that relief, yeah, when there's less dukkha. And there's also less sense of self, and that feels good. Yeah, that feels nourishing. Yeah, that feels light. Yeah, we've used all these words. So we can see that um, spectrum, that range of the sense of self. Yeah. Louder, yeah. more solid, more dense. Yeah. Comes with more dukkha, more demand. Quieter. Yeah. With more well-being, with less dukkha, with less contraction, with less demand. We know that again in our own experience when we think at times when we really feel at ease in the world. Yeah. I think it often happens to most of us in nature. Yeah. When we're out in nature and there's a sense of ease in the world. Being at deep ease. And again we can look through our memory and think how loud is the sense of self in those moments? How dominant? How present? see that it appears when there's an action <laughs> needing to be made yeah and with actions um, we're including thoughts we're including views yeah also types of actions yeah? the self is an actor it appears in relation to actions and with actions which means it does not appear from its own side <laughs> Sometimes I can see it in the morning when I wake up. You know, there's this moment and there's just peacefulness. And then I need to do this. Yeah? Comes up, right? You know this or is it just my crazy mind? Yeah? You can see it taking birth yeah? with, with the action, in relation to the action. It does not appear from its own side. It does not appear independently. from activity. So when we look at this kind of process of dependent origination that we've been speaking of, you know, we can say, for dukkha to arise, yeah, it needs demand, right? It needs tanha. It needs that craving. Yeah. And a demand needs a demander. Yeah, so with the demand, the mind gives birth also to the sense of self. And in that process, yeah, I said it um, the other day, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, but we start with the contact, yeah. contact of a sense object with a sense door. And then there's the Vedana. And from the Vedana, there's the demand. 
and from the demand yeah or with the vedana and the demand there's escalation and there's the push and pull on experience and with that is becoming yeah in the language of dharma teachings and that becoming becoming what <laughs> becoming a sense of i am <laughs> this is about me yeah i want this for me i don't want this for me yeah we can see that birth yeah with uh, that process so a demand needs a demander and yet at the same time there's no demander without a demand yeah so we can see they rely on each other sense of self needs an activity and it needs that sense of for me in order to appear in a way that we can notice and yet our kind of moment to moment experience is yeah that this demander is fixed yeah it's got an essence you know and probably right now some of you are thinking yeah 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 come on it's me yeah don't try to tell me that there's no me here it may be a very small voice <laughs> in there don't tell me that i don't exist it's me i've been me for 50 years what are you talking about so the demand it feels fixed it feels independent yeah it feels constant it's always there yeah? it's always there and yet what we are being asked to see is that it is not independent of other things it is not independent of an activity it is not independent of a degree of demand yeah so we could say you know there's no speaker without speaking there's no dharma talker without listening yeah not even this action yeah someone else's yeah there's no speaker without speaking there's no walker without walking there's no thinker without thinking it does not arise independently it arises together with dependent on just in this moment it almost brings tears to me because this is so beautiful so beautiful and it sounds on the one hand just like yes okay right <laughs> you know yeah yeah no no speaker without speaking and yet if we let that touch us if we let ourselves feel that be moved by that so we've seen this connection right we lessen the demand we lessen the dukkha we lessen the contraction the sense of self goes down yeah 
becomes more quiet. And of course, we can go directly to that self-sense and bring that lever down. Yeah, turn that down, that dial. And then what happens? You can guess. <laughs> yeah? Bring down that loudness, that solidity, that certainty of that independent self, sense of self. And dukkha goes down. Demand goes down for ourselves and for others. And this can go more and more subtle, yeah? more and more subtle. This, you know, the teachings, the practices, they, they have a, it feels like, an infinite range, scope, of subtlety, of refinement. I've seen this at more and more refined uh, levels, as more and more freeing, liberating, moving levels. And so, you know, like the other practices we've been exploring. With this too, um, when we speak about adjusting this lever, this dial of the self-sense, we're not talking about a truth that we need to believe in, yeah, or not. Yeah. This is a methodology. It's a practice yeah, to see what frees, to experience freedom, yeah. to experience ways of looking, that free us, to decrease dukkha for ourselves and for others. There's a beautiful um, story that we've heard Joseph Goldstein uh, mention in one of his talks. Um, it's about an awakening experience of a, of a Zen nun, a nun in the Zen tradition. And it's, a, it's from a book called Women of the Way. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a poem, so I'm going to read it. It's about a nun called Tai Jitsu. Tai Jitsu saw that what arose abided and fell away. What appears, abides and falls away. She saw that the knowing of this arose, abided and fell away. Then she knew there was nothing more than this. No ground. Nothing to lean on stronger than the cane she held. Nothing to lean upon at all, and no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind. She opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go. And she fell into the midst of everything. 
I'm going to read it again because it's so beautiful. Taijitsu saw that what arose abided and fell away. She saw that knowing this arose, abided and fell away. Then she knew there was nothing more than this. No ground. Nothing to lean on stronger than the cane she held. Nothing to lean upon at all. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. So when we look this way, yeah, when we look at that clenched fist, yeah, of our habitual tendencies, including that tendency yeah, to contract into a limited sense of self, an allowed sense of self, to contract into that delusion that we are separate and independent. Yeah. This opens and deepens our insight yeah, when we go beyond that, when we look at that. And we can remember the sense of self moves along a spectrum, yeah? From the moments when it's barely there at all, yeah? Barely there at all. To the moments when it's really strong, yeah? Really strong. And since there's a spectrum, yeah, we have the possibility to move along that spectrum. Yeah? That's our possibility to move along that spectrum, to explore how to quieten that sense of self yeah, when that is useful. Yeah. And so part of what we're doing in the practice is to understand, to see, to recognize the ways the self can appear, yeah. how it constructs, where it constructs. And then bringing in a way of looking that turns that process on its head, yeah. turns it upside down. Yeah. Instead of that habitual way of seeing things as self, yeah. we see not self. Yeah. And this is its strategy, okay? This is not about, you know, there is no self, nothing exists. Yeah. It's a strategy for freedom, it's a strategy for well-being. Yeah. Easing that what can I get for me sense of self. And so instead of seeing things as self, we pause and enjoy <laughs> <laughs> and see things as not-self. Yeah. And we inquire, how does it feel to see this way? Yeah. What happens when we see this way? And remember, we're not negating yeah, 
aware the self and we're certainly not making it the enemy when I started practicing I really remember this it wasn't talk of the self there was talk of the ego and the ego was bad (laughs) the ego was bad yeah and so you know with no it's not about it's not the enemy yeah we wouldn't be here without a sense of self wouldn't have been able to get here from Turku or Sweden or Helsinki or Brussels, wherever we came from, yeah. without a sense of self that could negotiate that journey for us. It's not the enemy. Not about making enemies on this path. Yeah. Even dukkha is not the enemy, by the way, <laughs> if we're talking about enemies. It's an invitation to release. So the self-sense is, is not the enemy. Yeah? But we have this in, in, invitation to explore. Yeah? How can I be less entangled? Yeah? Less identified with things. And what is that experience like? Yeah? Volume. Yeah. Yeah. So how can I be less entangled? Yeah? Less identified with I do that and what is that experience like? Letting go of that, you know, habitual way of relating to things as um, possessions, yeah, as things that are in my control. And interestingly enough, yeah, we might find that that's a more enjoyable and fruitful way of being. More enjoyable, more fruitful way of being. Kind of honoring the fact that we are not separate, we're not independent of other things. Which kind of in an interesting way allows us to relax much more into life. So the self does not exist from its own side. It does not exist alone. It appears dependent on conditions. Dependent on other phenomena. Dependent on escalation. Dependent on the push-pull. Dependent on demand. So it can be interesting to see how it appears. What's the common ways that it appears? What aspects of experience do we take as our self? identify with as our self. So, conveniently, there's another map of the Buddha, of five areas called the five aggregates, which is a complicated word that no one uses, which literally means heaps, you know, piles. A heap of things, a pile of things. And so the teaching of the five aggregates is not a description of the self, but a series of locations yeah, where the self tends to build, yeah, tends to gravitate, tends to identify. So the first one is form, yeah, and primarily for us, body, yeah. We identify as the body or we take ownership of the body 
right? This is my body. Yeah. It's my body. The second one, familiar, Vedana. Yeah. So the sense self builds up around the Vedanas. Yeah. That simplest response of disliking or liking or indifference. The sense of self also builds up around perceptions, yeah. what we perceive. Yeah. Making a thing into a thing. Yeah? It happens yeah, automatically in our mind. But the sense of self kind of weaves into it, yeah. gets entangled into it. Another place where we can uh, look, investigate, yeah, if there's a separate self, is in, our, in the sankharas, yeah, the mental formations, yeah, such as thoughts, intentions, attention. Yeah? Attention. We feel like these are part of who we are, or who we are, right? They're so subtle. And the fifth and last one is consciousness. That level of knowing experience. And often that's, you know, we say that's the last resort. <laughs> We look at all the other ones and we realize, okay, there's no independent self there. And we'll take an example in a moment and unpack it. But then we think, okay, it must be in the knowing. It must be in the consciousness where there's an independent, lasting self. So this is an invitation. I'm just naming this map. Of course, this can be interesting a bit of an aside so I won't spend too much time on it but each of these remember these are five aggregates five heaps but each of these also is not a one thing yeah each of them is also made up of heaps made up of other things dependent on other things it's interesting to see and also they're all activities not things, they're verbs, they're activities. So we can say there's more selfing yeah, as a verb than a sense of self as a noun. Yeah. The self appears, it acts. So let's just take the, the simplest, I think for most of us, example of the body. Yeah, and look at that body experience and that sense of self and identity that builds up there. And just ponder what happens when we look at the body and instead of seeing it as me and mine, we see it as not me and not mine. Does that feel weird? Yeah, great. Thank you. <laughs> it feels weird. Yeah. Not me, not mine. Why do I care so much about it? Why do I spend so much energy on dressing it? Not me, as you can see, but lots of people. Yeah. Why do we spend so much energy on it? Interesting. So what happens when we look at the body and, and we remind ourselves, not me, not mine. Yeah? Not as a negation, not as a 
uh, a disavowal of love. Actually, it sometimes brings us a lot closer. Yeah, we can do this in different ways. I think Nathan mentioned it already on this retreat. What if we see this? This is not my body. This is nature's body. I love nature. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Whew, what a relief. But we see it as nature's body. Something that we are, you know, asked to look after and care for. It's not, it's not mine, yeah? is it? Yeah. One of my favorite reflections is, you know, and, and this comes up all the time, right? This is me, this body is mine, yeah? And completely forget the billions of other organisms that live in this body billions that live in this same body not just this one form of consciousness billions and some of them are doing as much or maybe even more to keep it alive than I am so what happens to that sense you know we start to see how these are all ways of looking and saying ah not me not mine or not just mine yeah sometimes that's a more helpful way of seeing Sometimes we can reflect, well, okay, here's the body, it's mine. Well, where does it begin? <laughs> where, when did it start being mine or being me? The moment I was born, the moment I was conceived, you know, when my grandparents met in a bus stop in the rain, yeah, was that when it started? Where, where, where did it start? Yeah. And where does it end? You know, we can reflect and say, even when this, you know, where does it end? Where does it end? And we can, you know, think, you know, where, again, where does it begin? Where does it end? I, as you can see, I love this. So I can go on and on about it. And I will a little bit more. I'll indulge my not self. Yeah. And just, you know, think, okay, we feed this body. So when does that food become mine? When does it become part of this body? Yeah. When it's harvested in the field, when it goes into the pot, when it comes out of the pot onto my plate. Yeah. When? It goes into the mouth, comes out the other end. You know, when does it begin? Where does it end? Yeah. So intricate, you know, we can start to see, you know, this body which I see as myself, is not separate. It's dependent on other conditions. It doesn't actually have a fixed beginning and end. Yeah. And it's not just mine. Yeah. That's a habit. That's a habitual way of looking. We can start to watch in this way and to see, you know, when does the um, sense of self kind of get stronger and when does it get weaker? And what feels more beneficial for us along that, um, along that spectrum? 
and we can see how quickly we take ownership of things. Yeah? How quickly we take ownership of things. This is an example that we love to give. It's also to do with food. Yeah. Often use this. You know, when does the food become my food? Yeah? So we stand at the lunch queue and there's food in the pots, right? We don't really consider that my food yet, right? At some point in the transition, from the pot to the plate, it becomes mine. Yeah? If one of you walked over to the pot and took food out of the pot, I'd have no problem with it. If you came and took food off my plate, that would be a different thing. Right? So we see how the sense of self arises differently with different conditions, different situations. Yeah? And yet, so much in the mind. That plate isn't mine, certainly here, right? plate isn't mine, the food isn't mine, the pot isn't mine. So it can be really interesting, and this is what we'll be practicing tomorrow, if we wish, of course, to bring this way of looking to different aspects of our experience. Just shifting that view from me and mine, separate, yeah, independent, ownership, yeah. to not me, not mine, not just me, not just mine. Yeah. And again, not with a sense of rejection, really, really important. Yeah, the meta is really important here, the sense of honouring. Yeah. Yeah, what a gift it is to have a body, to have a mind, to have a heart. It's a beautiful thing, it's an honour, and we can honour that, not reject. Opening to uh, this interconnected nature, interdependent nature of our experience. We're not separate, not independent of each other. This can lighten the sense of load that we place on ourselves to be something be something or someone. Joanna Macy, the activist and Dharma teacher, she uh, was once asked, you know, um, how she sees herself. And I love her answer. She says, I see myself as a flow through. I see myself as a flow through flow through of nutrients, a flow through of biology, a flow through of nature, a flow through of inspiration, a flow through of wisdom, a flow through of compassion. This is my details. She's so powerful she didn't need to go into the details. But we can see what happens to the way of looking, what happens to the experience when we see that way. Not solid, not separate, not fixed, not independent. So this opens us up to a life of meaning. To feel what is our life calling to flow through us. And how can we honour that? At times, we hold the preciousness of this sense of self with reverence, yeah? with appreciation. 
And at times we just let the whole thing just drift away. Let it go. And that's what we'll be exploring together tomorrow. Thank you for your listening. Talk is also not an independent thing. Mutually dependent, mutually arising. And sometimes it feels much more from the listening than from the speaking. Much more from the listening. So let's have a a moment of quiet together.